Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. And in some ways, we can think of this as a sort of special edition, a rather poignant and topical given the topic that we're going to be speaking about today and the controversy which is raging, if that's the correct word, but certainly the cloud of controversy around Matt Walsh's documentary entitled What is a Woman? A documentary which is uh, you can watch on the Daily Wire. Um, we don't know if it's available anywhere else. It's rather unfortunate that it's behind a paywall on the Daily Wire and that you can only watch it by actually signing up for a subscription because it is the type of film which is really needs to reach a broader audience. And there is a certain segment of the population which will not under any circumstances subscribe to the Daily Wire and give money to the Daily Wire, which is a, a right wing political motivated uh, network or at least it's run by individuals who are right-leaning and so forth so many of the individuals who really need to watch what is a woman won't many of them wouldn't have seen it anyway even if it was free on YouTube they probably wouldn't have watched it or they would have watched it only to be able to express their hate and their anger and their frustration and whatnot. But the documentary itself takes a sort of, I mean, it's a very biased and right-leaning documentary. It's taking a very political angle at the subject matter, which is not surprising given who made it. But as a result, given that where it can be seen, who produced it, and how it was produced, it seems like more of a, it's not a propaganda piece, you wouldn't say that, but what it very, what it is, is a, a, a piece of content to energize and bring a great deal of intellectual and emotional energy into an echo chamber and seemingly give a whole cache of 
ammunition. It's a volatile cache of ammunition for people who already agree with the premise of the film. For them to be riled up their emotions and and so that they can feel self-righteous in their beliefs. So overall, as an entity, as an oddity, the documentary itself, it is what it is. And it certainly does reveal a great deal about the nature of this so-called political issue of transgenderism. But that is not the focus of today's talk. We will get to the issue of transgenderism and gender fluidity. Even in the title of the documentary itself, What is a woman? The issue which keeps coming up during the documentary is very few people seem to be able to answer this question or refuse to answer it or answer it in a kind of cyclical way. What is a woman? And for that matter, what is a man? And of course, the documentary is taking a, an approach whereby people's lack of awareness and lack of knowledge is to the actual answer of that question, their inability to answer it, their inability to provide some kind of viable definition of what is a woman, what is womanness. The documentary exploits this and uses this as its fundamental thesis in its opposition to and illumination of transgenderism and many of the controversies related to transgenderism, particularly as they relate to children and the so-called affirmation of transgender children and transitioning transgender children with phenomenon such as puberty blockers and surgeries. So it is clear, even in the film, the few people who do offer some kind of a definition at least in their own mind, what is a woman? For example, the African tribe in, uh, of Maasai in Africa, in Kenya. Um, he asks them to, to define what a woman is. And the leader of that particular Maasai tribe says, well, a woman bears children. A woman has the capacity to bear, bear children. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what our women are. Our women are the 
are the ones who give birth to children. It's, for him, it's a very straightforward definition. Women bear children. But that's a very narrow description. It is a definition by exclusion. Men, in general, cannot bear children. Men do not have a womb. So, everything that cannot bear human children is not a woman. Ergo, what can bear human children is a woman. But is that all a woman is? This is what feminists made use of during the feminist movement was a tremendous weapon in their arsenal, in their political and rhetorical arsenal, where they were able to raise their fists and claim that men only see women as baby factories. Is the ability to bear children what makes you a woman? Woman? What about women who are sterile? I, I beg your pardon. What about women who are barren? That's the correct term, barren. Men are sterile. Women are barren. Women who are incapable of having children. As a matter of fact, most women, once they enter into menopause, that stage in their lives, when they are no longer capable of bearing children safely or no longer capable of bearing children at all, do they cease to become a woman? They can no longer bear children. Are they no longer a woman? So that definition, at least the Maasai elder was able to offer Matt Walsh a definition, but it is a very narrow and limited sort of definition. It defines womanhood by a very specific action. And it's a narrow action from the viewpoint of a true human being. From a purely biological viewpoint, from a purely animal or primal point of view, that definition of an adult female human being capable of reproducing the species has a very practical application from the point of view of mechanical nature. But is that all a woman is? Is that all a human being is? Because really, we're going to uh, 
asking the question, what is a woman? How can anyone even begin to define and provide an answer to that without asking the bigger question? What is a human? What is a human being? A woman represents a particular kind of human being. And there is a difference between women and men. Those differences are biological, but they are also emotional and mental and social, behavioral, tendencies, differences, expressions. Now wait, but, but hang on a moment. If both men and women are both expressions of human beings, of humanity, they're both two kinds of, of humanity, What is the difference? Is it purely biological? Is it purely based on anatomy or biological function, i.e. procreation of the species and how the two interface and interact in order to accomplish that? Nowadays, of course, with artificial insemination and all sorts of other uh, abominations of mechanical science, women can procreate without a man but they still have to bear children. They still have to carry the fetus, the embryo and the fetus and give birth. So in that sense, to become a mother in that sense, and they cannot, or at least not until recently, they could not become inseminated without a male sperm. Now, uh, in recent years, much has been done in the way of genetics and genetic, genetic mutations and with the artificial inseminations and, and all that reproductive technology that mechanical science, materialist science has been experimenting with. It may be possible that a woman doesn't even need a sperm anymore to become in, inseminated. All she needs is to have one of her own eggs genetically modified and have, and have it and two of her eggs genetically modified and tampered with to create the spark of fertilization. Now, to what degree this has been successful? We don't know because we don't keep up on abominations of nature and scientific experiments, which should have stopped before they began. We don't worry ourselves and we don't spend our time and energy looking into it, but guaranteed there are many people looking into it and working on just this sort of research because there is no limit. There's no limit to the 
degeneration and devolutionary mindset of materialist scientists who do not see, do not recognize, refuse to recognize, and are completely ignorant of the sanctity of life, the sanctity of nature, and the sacredness of all things. So they have no problems experimenting on women and experimenting on women's reproductive processes because they are completely ignorant of what a woman is. And we don't wish to appear as though we're beating around the bush and avoiding the question, because we are not. This is not just sort of some sort of empty preamble. It is a way for us to contextualize the question and the problem with the question, the problem with the film, the problem with how the film goes about asking the question without asking the fundamental underlying questions necessary to arrive at an answer. A woman is an expression of a human being, which is unique and different from that of a man. What is the difference? This is where the crux of the question lies. Because a woman is a human being, that is without question, or at the very least, like most members of this humanity, she's an intellectual animal who, which believes itself to be a human being. Because a true human being is awake and conscious, and the vast majority of individuals on this planet are asleep. Con uh, their consciousness is asleep. So they are at best intellectual animals. But regardless, under the, the general misconception of what a human being is, women are a member of this humanity and thus theirs is an expression of that humanity, womanhood, which is different from manhood. But it is still human. So what's the difference? So we must begin answering the question, looking at the question by looking at what is masculine and what is feminine. Femininity and masculinity, what are they? And in asking the question, we invariably, if we ask, if we probe correctly and consciously, and we seek the foundation of masculinity and femininity, we invariably arrive at the law of three, which was the topic of last week's live stream. We arrive at the Tao. We arrive at the continuum of duality and the union of duality. So the tri-unity, the trinity, masculine, feminine, 
and union of masculine and feminine in order to create. Positive, negative, and neutral. Affirm affirmation, negation, and reconciliation. Expression, reception, and creation, experience. Creation of experience. Expression, reception, experience. Well, expression, reception, comprehension, perhaps, is the uh, better term to use to describe their union. But you see, in the, law, in the law of three, it's always one and another united for the purpose of crea crea creating, creation. That is the fundamental law of three, as we discussed last week. And one essential aspect of that triunity is the feminine force. So what is that? It is the receptive force. It is the negating force. It is the quality of reality which can be best described as the voluptuousness of, of existence, of being, into which a spark, a seed, is planted. And in that voluptuousness of being exists all that is required for the seed, for the spark, to actualize and to grow, to become, in, to be. That seed, that spark of expression cannot take hold, cannot continue, cannot persist, cannot grow, and cannot actualize its full potential without the space, the environment, the support, the nurturing, all that it needs. All that it needs. Not necessarily what it wants, but all that it needs. That is the nature of the feminine force. The, the space, the body into which a spark, a seed, is planted. And that body provides all that that seed requires in order to be, 
and transform and grow and become and mature and then actualize and self-realize. That seed, that spark, that idea, that potential, that is the masculine force. That is the expression, the active force. The expression, that spark, which longs to become a bonfire. But it cannot grow and become a bonfire without the fuel. You can, you can make sparks all day long, but without something that's going to be lit with that spark, you're just making sparks. That's why on 4th of July or July 1st or wherever you are in the world uh, on those special occasions when people celebrate with fireworks, they have those sparklers. And they put those sparklers in birthday cakes and they give them to children and they let children run around with these sparklers. Why? Because they're completely safe. They're completely harmless. As long as that child stays away from something that's flammable, as long as those sparks don't fall into something volatile or flammable, that sparkler is completely safe. Because those sparks can't do anything, can't go anywhere. They, it's, they, they burn themselves out. That's the nature of the masculine force. What, does, what is the implication of this? Practically speaking, what is the implication of this? The whole of the body of manifest reality is feminine. The whole universe is feminine. Nothing can exist without the feminine force. You may have heard terms like Akash or the Akashic records, for example. But the Akashic records as a archive of all experiences from the fifth dimension down. So all experiences took place in mind, heart, and body. And yet,
consciousness itself is feminine. In the sixth dimension, none of those experiences recorded in the Akashic records could have existed without the body of consciousness, which is feminine. And how do we know that consciousness is feminine? You, wherever you are in the world, right now, are receiving this transmission. You are listening, you are observing, you are watching. The only reason why you have any experience of any kind whatsoever is because your consciousness is receiving. That reception is feminine. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, cat, dog. It doesn't matter. Consciousness is feminine. The expression is the masculine aspect of consciousness which is coming through this camera and through this microphone or and but even the microphone is receiving that expression and converting it into what to electrical signals which is the universal body of chi of prana the ether the etheric plane the fourth dimension. And it is being transmitted and it is being, whether you're on headphones or through a speaker, it is being converted into sound waves. The digital electrical signals are being shown to you on a screen of some kind. It's being converted into light. That light is being received via your eye and your brain to your consciousness. The sounds are being received via your eardrums and your brain to your consciousness. And the expression of our voice is being received and the comprehension is being created, is being born inside of your feminine consciousness. Your consciousness contains all that is required for this expression to create an experience for you, to create a comprehension in your mind even on the simple level of understanding what the words we are saying and understanding the language we are speaking. Without that, there would be no experience. Without that, you would not be. You would not be. You could not be. The whole of manifest reality the expression of the entire universe, of the absolute birthing 
itself into this myriad, infinite, individuated expressions of itself in order so that it may know itself through these expressions, through the reception and experience and comprehension of those expressions. That is the only way that knowledge, genuine knowledge, self-evident experiential knowledge, that which we seek, that which the Absolute seeks, and it seeks it by creating a universe which is feminine. And it can only be feminine because that is the nature of the feminine force. To be receptive and to be nurturing and to provide all that is required for those sparks of expression to actualize, to be experienced, to be comprehended, to be appreciated. This, as we are describing to you, is the fundamental nature of Tantra. This is what Tantra is about. Tantra exists on a level of reality which has, which has zero physicality. Sexuality, as expressed on the physical plane, is simply that, the physical expression of the law of three which exists on every level of manifest reality, on every level of existence, outside of the Absolute. And even within the Absolute, in the Ain, the Ain Sof, and the Ain Sof are, because that trinity, that tri-unity, is the methodology of creation. It's a mystery, just like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just like Osiris, Isis, Horus. How can three beings be one? That's the mystery of the Tao. That's why in Lao Tzu said, the Tao, the Tao that can be explained is not the eternal Tao. Because it's a mystery. How can these two separate, seemingly opposite entities be one? and be as one. And that one that they are is separate from the two distinct entities which are not each other, which are different, and yet when they unite, they create this third new thing. They're separate yet united, but one, but not, but three. It's This is the mystery that the mind on some conceptual level can believe it understands, but only the consciousness can comprehend it. So to ask the question, what is a woman? 
without understanding the fundamental nature of the feminine force. Or for somebody to provide an answer, an attempt to answer the question, what is a woman, without addressing the fundamental nature of the feminine force and how that force relates to the masculine force. Because women do not live in a vacuum. The void, the space, the akash, whatever words we want to use to describe it, consciousness itself, it may be pure receptiveness, pure voluptuousness. But if there is nothing to receive, if there is no spark, if there is no expression, what, what is it? It's just empty space. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. It is pure potentiality only. And it's potentiality, this is why, it's that potentiality which births the aspect of the feminine as being passive. The masculine is the active force. It is the spark. It is the movement. It is the first step. And it is the penetrating force which penetrates the feminine the active force is received by the passive force and when action is re received with passion the result is construction the result is creation Kamal Manzuki says, voltage versus current. That's one way to look at it. The thing is that that energy The energy of electricity itself is, as you suggest, it is a union, right? So current and voltage are both required to create this, this phenomenon, which we identify as electricity in the same way that multiple poles are required for this phenomenon that we experience and describe as magnetism, the magnetic field. These are in the fourth dimension, both electricity and magnetism are four dimensional phenomenon. They do not exist in the third dimension, only their effects 
exist in the third dimension. And they are a lower dimensional or lower vibrational expression of energies of more subtle, higher dimensional energies. Really, everything can be as described as expressions of the Christic force. And the Christ is the divine androgen, masculine and feminine combined, the, the union of masculine and feminine. That's why in all of the ancient traditions, we have, the, um, for example, Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Osiris, divine masculine, and uh, Isis, divine feminine, and Horus, their, their child, their son, is the divine androgen, the Christ, the union of divine masculine and divine feminine forces. The Christ is the creative force in the universe. And all of the energies, including the uh, prana and the kundalini inside of us, are expressions of that divine Christic force. Now, in the case of the Kundalini and in prana, um, the prana flows both in the masculine and feminine channels. So the thing about this, the thing about both masculine and femininity in terms of how it expresses the universe, and we see this in the Tao, each one contains the other. All human beings have both energetic channels inside of them, Ida and Pingala, the masculine and feminine energetic channels. It could not be any other way. Nothing in the universe can exist without both. As we stated, if you only have consciousness without any expression in consciousness, then you have nothing. If you only have expressions and sparks, without anything with which to receive that spark, then you have nothing. You just have the, that, that momentary, infinitesimally small spark. But it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, you, have an, you have an action which is impotent. Remember how he described the feminine consciousness, the feminine force as infinite potentiality. Potential, the passive force, the feminine force, expresses as pure potential. That masculine force is likewise, is seeking that spark, that action is seeking that potentiality. Because it has its in its spark its own potency. And it exists only itself as a potentiality, as an idea, as a concept, as a possibility. So what does it need? It needs the feminine in order to give it the space and everything that it needs in order to fulfill its potential. So, without that, we, we end up with words like impotent. All of that potential, all of that potentiality, it, it can't go anywhere. It can't be actualized. 
It can't be realized. It's impotent. And yet, if it finds that receptive potentiality, then its potential begins to be fulfilled. When we say words have power and words have meaning, and we speak of the feminine force as the voluptuousness of space, providing all that we need in order to be, all that we need to fulfill our potential. Full as in completely and filled as in completely. Fulfilled, filled fully, fully filled. Space is not empty. Space is full. And what is it full? And what is it full with? It is full with fulfillment. But that fullness and fulfillment is passive and awaiting the need. The spark, the seed, which is in need of all that is within that fulfillment. Both these forces are present in human beings, and both these forces are present in every manifested phenomena in the universe, the masculine and the feminine. They must be. They must be. A ball contains, from absolute, the archetype of sphereness, of roundness. The substance the substance of its existence, which of course is an illusion, the substance of its, its existence is purely electric. It's purely electrical. The substance of its existence is pure energy. But that energy is molded and crafted according to the archetype from the world of Atsilut. But that archetype, by definition, an archetype is the unformed essence of form, the unrealized, unformed essence of form. Archetypes are potentials. They're like blueprints, but blueprints that are not even drawn on paper. They are essential, ephemeral blueprints. They are essences. And you can take that essence and, and compact it into an infinitesimally small point. And that essence, that seed, needs to find its space. And that seed, that essence, defines how the energy 
of the Akash needs to be brought into vibration. And and how it needs to be oriented in order to manifest and express in a experienceable way the essence. So we have ball, we have planet, we have moon that are all spheres. They are all expressions of that essence. So Benjamin asks, are those potential like DNA, which is pure information? So DNA has encoded in it. So we can say in a crude way, in a crude uh, comparison, DNA encodes information and that information source is at the heart of all cells and that information is ultimately being expressed in the organism physically so dna is the 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 blueprint of the physical organism on the level of biology it's a so in the same way that you can create a virtual 3d model and that model appears in this 3d virtual reality but really it's just a bunch of lines of code and that code exists on a hard drive in us that code exists in the strands of DNA. But of course, even the strands of DNA are an illusion. So it's, it's all just energy. It's all just electricity. Just like the virtual uh, dinosaur, let's say, is just a bunch of code that exists uh, as magnetic signatures, magnetic, well, code, electric code. It has to be processed. And in that processing cr can create this virtual reality. But this is happening all the time, all around us, not just in our DNA. So DNA is a specific type of expression which we call a biological expression. But that expression is taking place even in non-biological phenomena because 
what separates biology from uh, non-biology, non-biology, is that even a word? That distinction is itself an illusion. Because even molecule, uh, the simple molecules are alive. Everything has consciousness. Consciousness at its own level. Everything is alive. It's just some things are alive in different ways. In the same way that a bacterium is not alive in the same way that a human being is. But a bacterium has its own DNA. A molecule does not have DNA, but a molecule is still an expression. The molecule is still an expression of code. It's just the DNA is a more complex expression of code, which then be, is then used to translate a more complex organism, a more complex expression of life than what a molecule is. But all of this, when you pare it all back and, and pare it all down, it comes down to expressions of essence. The essence of things. And the point that we are making is that essence cannot be expressed unless it has a medium in which its expression can be received and realized. And that is the feminine force. And what, of course, flows out of this is that the expressions take on a life of their own. And many expressions are able to procreate and so, essences grow, and they evolve, they change through the alm of life, through the processes of expansion and synthesis, explosion and implosion, the upward spiral and the downward spiral. We have evolving and devolving expressions. We have essences that are on the evolutionary arc towards self-actualization and, and self-realization and then we have essences on a devolutionary arc and this relates to how the expressions and receptions and how the relationship the interrelationship between the masculine and feminine forces unfold and there's many many factors which come into play but all of this relates directly to the evolution of monads when in us our monad is an essence our innermost our atman is a spark a seed but that seed that spark it exists as a triunity in a triunity the being 
the consciousness and the human soul. And the human soul is the intercessor, the intercessor point between our innermost being, our true self, and ourselves, the physical vessel. That's what the human soul is. And in most people, that has not yet been developed, which is why our connection with our innermost being is so weak. And our connection and our, our consciousness is asleep. Because our human soul in the sixth dimension, in Tippereth, the causal body, has not yet been formed, has not yet been created. And that's why we're not true human beings until we create the human soul. Until then, we're just intellectual animals. And our capacity to know ourselves, and our capacity to know, period, is hamstrung. We are disabled, metaphysically speaking, because we don't, we don't have our solar causal body. We don't have our human soul. Our consciousness is not awake. If our consciousness is not awake, then not only can we barely receive any information from our innermost, that's why intuition, we call it the still soft voice. And in many people, it's very weak. Interestingly, interestingly, women are said to have stronger intuition. Women are said to have more intuition. Why might that be? The simple reason is because consciousness is feminine. And coming back to the question, what is a woman? And we said that what differentiates men and women is this the nature of masculine and feminine. But we also said that all human beings have both masculine and feminine in them. So then what is a woman? We can also say there are, as and Jordan Peterson points this out in the documentary, What is a Woman? Because he's interviewed. And he says, well, there are masculine women and there are effeminate men. How does that work? You have a human being expressing as a man, biologically, physically, but in every other way seems to be expressing as a woman in a very effeminate sort of way. It has very feminine traits and effeminate traits, but has a biologically male body. What's going on? Likewise, you can have a biological woman expressing biologically as a woman, but being very masculine and having very masculine traits or traits that we normally associate with masculinity. So what is going on? And what is going on metaphysically 
is related to the fact that we, all of us, contain both masculine and feminine inside of us. And at any given point in time, we may find ourselves expressing more feminine energy or more masculine energy. And in the process of, and that energy, let us not forget, because we're asleep, because we're, this humanity is 97% ego on average. Most of that energy is being squeezed and filtered through ego. And ego's desire is simply to enslave consciousness and siphon the sexual force, the sexual energy. That prana, that chi inside of us, the, the kundalini. And ego wants to, 99 times out of 100, ego wants to use that energy in a negative way. Invert it. Twist it. Corrupt it. So many of the beliefs that we have, especially about ourselves, related to our desires, our cravings and aversions, are really the cravings and aversions of egos, of entities that are infecting us and infesting us. Beliefs and ideas and notions about who we are which relates specifically to identification how we identify identification is a quality and a trait of ego it is ego when somebody says you know Tell me about yourself. And we say, well, this is my name. This is what I do for a living. This is what my hobbies are. I'm married. Or I don't, or I'm not married or I have children. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a mother, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My career. These are all the things that we identify as. And they may be based on objective fact. I mean, if you have children, you're a parent. I mean, that's, that's self-evident. But that's not who we really are. From a metaphysical point of view, man or woman is a category of character. Is a category of persona. Despite the fact that we've spent nearly an hour talking about masculine and feminine, we all have masculine and feminine in us, and we all know effeminate men and masculine women. We know women who will likely never have children, who don't want any children, 
and only want to have a career and have success and enjoy themselves. And, and typically, you know, they, they don't, they certainly don't want to adhere to the uh, Maasai elders definition of she who gives birth, she who, who, who brings forth children. And this brings us to this whole issue and question around gender fluidity and this confusion. And then there, how, and what is the difference between that and homosexuality? And why is there a difference? Why is it that someone who's a man was sexually attracted to other men, but he doesn't think of himself as a woman. He doesn't feel like a woman. He's a man. He knows he's a man. And he may be or he may not be an effeminate man. Many homosexuals are not effeminate at all. Many Hollywood actors, you may be surprised, they play tough guy, leading men, and you see them on screen making love to women, right? Saving, you know, uh, what's the old cliche? Uh, defeat the bad guy, get the girl. Many of the leading men in Hollywood were homosexual. On screen, they were kissing and making love to women. But off screen, they didn't want to have anything to do with women. Not, not uh, romantically, not, not uh, intimately. So what's going on? They're not effeminate men. But they're attracted to other men. But if you ask them, they would say, oh, but... But I'm a man. I'm I'm not I'm not a woman trapped in a man's body. So so how does that differ from someone who does say I'm a woman trapped in a man's body? I feel like a woman that's I'm in the wrong body. What's going on? What's the difference? And what is a woman? Right? In that case, transgenderism, right? Someone will say, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. I'm a woman. I know I'm a woman. But what the big joke about the uh, documentary is, he's asking that question, and nobody seems to want to answer that question. Certainly, none of the, even the, the trans uh, women, and we always get confused about trans woman is someone who was biologically born male and transitioned to female, that's a trans woman, we believe, if we have our terminology correct. But even those women who are trans, they, they didn't want to give a definition. They wanted to say, well, whoever feels themselves to be a woman, that's a woman. But if that's true, and you're a woman who's 
trapped in a man's body, but you feel like you have to have the biological changes that you have to go through the hormone, the hormone um, uh, treatments and the physical surgery to be fully transitioned. So that you feel like finally you belong, you have a body that 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 you belong in. What's going on there? And unfortunately, there's no simple answer to that question. Metaphysically and psychologically, there are a number of different things that are going on, but the main takeaway the important foundation is this question of identification the underlying root of the problem is identification with the false self whoever you are wherever you are watching this listening to this man or woman, whatever you identify as, the truth is you are not that. You are not. It's simply your persona. It's simply your character. It's simply what you identify as. That's all it is. Your true self, your higher self, the player of this massively multiplayer online role-playing game that we call life is the one behind the persona, the one within the body. And that self, your higher self, has no gender. In fact, that higher self, your true self, your being, is not an I. It's not an, it's an individuated essence of the Logos, but it itself is not a singularity. It is not an I, it is a we. There are 12 individuated aspects of the being, including the Divine Mother, the Divine Feminine. And your Divine Mother is by far the most important aspect of your innermost, of your Atman. Because it's your Divine Mother that provides you all that you need in order to be what you came here to be, in order to self-actualize and self-realize. And your innermost being, your true self, has no gender. So for someone to feel as though they've been, quote, misgendered, they are in the wrong body, this is a trick of ego. 
This is a trap. In the same way that someone who identifies with their physical body in a positive way. I'm a man. I'm a macho man. It's a trap. No, you're not. That's just your that's just your body. That's your aspect of your personality. It's an aspect of your persona. It's an aspect of your character. The character that you're playing in this video game. In past lives, you were something else. Sometimes, one life to another, we come as a man. Sometimes we come as a woman. Sometimes we're a mother. Sometimes we're a father. Sometimes we're neither. But the ego is all about identification. Right? Your desire. I have to get this car. I have to get this car. Not that car. Not any other car. This car. This car says who I am. Or these, this clothes, this outfit exp expresses who I am. Or this jewelry. Or this whatever. Whatever. We don't have to list it. You understand what we're getting at. Identification is a trick of ego that gets us trapped and lost and obsessed with the false self. So we have the obsession with the physical body, with how we look. And staring at ourselves in the mirror and trying to get all the perfection like like uh, body sculptors and bodybuilders and all of this type of thing. This is a, in many ways, a trick of ego. Where the perfection of the self has been twisted and skewed towards identification with the physical body. So the perfection of the self has been misunderstood, misconstrued, and is presented to us in our mind, in our heart, as, oh, I need to be perfect. I need to perfect myself. When I look in the mirror, I need to see the perfect Adonis. Is that what a perfect human being is? Is that what Buddha and Jesus and all the other masters and saints? Was that their focus? Is that what they taught? Is that what's in scripture? Is that what's in mythology and legend? Is that the, the way to perfection? The perfection of the physical body? The perfection of the physical form? The physical vessel? It's just a vessel. If you put crappy wine into an expensive bottle, or better yet, if you put vinegar into a champagne bottle, have you changed the nature of the liquid inside? 
does does the vinegar suddenly transform and become something special? Ironically, if that vinegar had the ability to speak and express itself, it would say to you, what have you done? Why have you put me in this champagne bottle? I am vinegar. And that vinegar would do what? It would say, I'm in the wrong bottle. but it's still vinegar. So you, so you, out of compassion, out of sympathy, you heed the call of the poor vinegar, which is trapped in the champagne bottle, and you pour it into a vinegar bottle. At last, the vinegar is in the right bottle. Yes? The suicide rate among transgender people is far and away one of the highest percentages in terms of population, in terms of specific group. The ratio of transgender individuals who commit suicide, the proportion is far higher than just about any other group, regardless of race, creed, color, uh, uh, academic standing, financial standing, any other um, health problems or psychological problems. And the timing of such tragic suicides takes place, generally speaking, years after their transition. Because putting the vinegar back into a vinegar bottle doesn't change the vinegar. It just feels temporarily more comfortable and more secure because it's in the right bottle. But it's still just vinegar. But over time, the truth of that becomes more and more and more apparent to the vinegar. But the problem is, they were duped. They were duped into believing that all of their problems stemmed from the fact that they were in the wrong bottle. They were, it was in a champagne bottle. It wasn't in the right bottle. And if only I can get into the right bottle, then I'll be, I'll be able to express myself. Then I will be proper. I'll be vinegar in a vinegar bottle. Then everything will be okay. Then I will be who I am. 
and I will be able to be who I am and I will feel comfortable and secure and everybody will know who I am on the inside because they'll be able to see vinegar written on my label because I'm in a vinegar bottle. Everything will be okay. All my problems will be solved. But slowly, and if you watched our, pro, our live stream on the Law of Seven, what happens is eventually you reach the age of 42. And by the age of 42, that 21-year period between 21 and 42 is needed to get all of the problems associated with adultness and all the animal, material, mechanistic aspects of, of intellectual animality. And at 42, you awaken to some degree or another to who you really are and your true purpose in life. And everything that you've been going through from 21 to 42, every conflict, trial, and ordeal has been about preparing you. And if you've been avoiding all that, if you've been ignoring all that, that's why people have the midlife crisis at 42. Because they wake up one day and they no longer can ignore it. They no longer. It's now loud and clear because 42 to 63, that 21-year period, is the period of mastery. But when someone wakes up to that midlife crisis and says, I'm in the wrong house, I'm married to the, to the wrong person, I'm in the wrong job, I mean, guess what? All of that, they can drop and they have their midlife crisis. They run out and buy a sports car, they, do, they, they, they run out and have an affair, they get a divorce, they do whatever they need to do. And they try desperately try to rearrange their life because they realize they're not living the right life. What happens to the person who is now in a body that they were not born with that cannot be reversed, that cannot go back? And what happens when they when they realize I, I, nothing, nothing's, nothing's right. I'm not really vinegar. Because I'm not supposed to be vinegar. I'm something else. But now I'm trapped in this vinegar bottle. What if I was rancid champagne the whole time? All this time, I spent all this time and energy and effort, and I thought all my problems were because was because that I'm vinegar in a champagne bottle, but I was just rancid champagne the whole time. I had just champagne that went off. There's air got into the bottle and the champagne turned into vinegar. 
but I'm still champagne. I was always in the right bottle. This is what, this is why traditionally uh, the phenomenon of young children, for example, or adolescents or young adults and so forth, feeling as though they were in the wrong body was referred to as a psychological psychiatric disorder known as gender dys dysphoria. Feeling as though you've been misassigned, you were born into the wrong body. It's just, it's the same type of thing. But it's a conceptual misunderstanding based on multiple different factors. And traditional treatments of gender dysphoria were seeking the cause. Why do you feel as though you were born into the wrong body? And many, 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 many times the answer became self-evident through the course of treatment and through the course of uh, psychological care, psychoanalysis and, and asking the right questions and probing the individual suffering from gender dysphoria. Why do you think that you're vinegar? What makes you think that you're in the wrong bottle? What makes you think that you belong in a vinegar bottle? Because I feel like vinegar. Because I'm because I'm 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 sour, I'm bitter. And then through proper care a good therapist, a good counselor, a good psychologist would help that individual know themselves and discover why they believe themselves to be vinegar and why they think they belong in a vinegar bottle. And they would unearth, they would pop the cork on the champagne bottle and they would analyze the liquid inside and they would discover that indeed it has many qualities of vinegar, but what it is, is champagne which has gone off. And if we take that champagne and maybe perhaps we can do something with it. I don't know if you can make champagne, you can get rid of the vinegar out of champagne. Probably not, so it might not be the best example. But we know that we can boil champagne and boil off the alcohol. So perhaps you can distill champagne back into champagne, perhaps. But the point is, is that it's not really vinegar. And pouring it into a vinegar bottle is not the answer. It's not the solution. It's the quick solution. It's the short-term solution. And it's the one that placates the individual and affirms their ego identification. And this whole notion of affirmation, this, this, this whole concept of affirmation, which exists in the New Age community as well, affirming this and affirming that, and doing these affirmations, I am unlimited abundance. I am perfect union with the divine. 
I am out. I, 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 I. Never we. Never any comprehension. Never any self-knowledge. Affirming what I want to be what I see myself as being, what I believe myself to be, and I'm going to affirm that and affirm that and affirm that and affirm that. Like pounding it into myself with a sledgehammer until the indent in my psyche is beyond reproach. Like a drill sergeant drilling the new recruits, drilling into their heads, into their minds, into their skulls, into their bodies, how to become a war machine, obedient. Tenacious, aggressive, invincible. And although many of those individuals, once they retire from the military, they will have a, an opportunity to, to have a wider appreciation, a wider understanding of themselves in the world and their place in the world. While they're in service, that identification with that job is very, very, very strong. So strong is that the rivalry within mil the military between Navy and Army, for example, is very bitter. The rivalry between the different branches of the military because their identification with their unit with their branch of the military be it navy or army or air force is that strong they don't even think of themselves really as a as a you know as a military person in a general way no i'm a marine or no i'm a seal i'm a navy seal or no, I'm a I'm an infantryman, or no, I'm a sniper, or no, I'm a whatever, whatever. I'm a pilot, whatever. All of that is achieved through a very different form of affirmation. It's in the word itself to affirm, to affirm, to firm up, to solidify to galvanize. So then what is homosexuality? Now he stated explicitly a homosexuality does not think of themselves 
as a member of the opposite gender. Generally speaking, of course, there are so many different letters in the alphabet. We're not going to cover them all. What we're going to do is reveal uh, how a few of the major ones uh, the, and the ones that are most relevant, if you will, to the discussion of gender, how they are related to ego and what is actually behind what is going on there. And how is a trick of ego, for example, to get someone to identify deeper and deeper and become so identified with the false self that they have no hope of ever self-actualizing and self-realizing. And when they realize that, when they awaken to that fact, oh my God, I was never vinegar at all. I was always just tainted champagne. And my, and my purpose in life, my journey in life was to untaint myself and become champagne again. Well, actually, they're never really champagne either. But the point is, is that, that by that point, they lose all hope because they can't reverse the process. And so they have no recourse of action. They take their own life because there's nothing they can do anymore because they know now they really are in the wrong body. They've mutilated their body. They've permanently altered their nature, the nature of their character. And now they can no longer fulfill what they, what they came into this life to fulfill. So, uh, just very quickly, Benjamin is saying, I remember reading one of Master Samael and Royor's books that says homosexuality is infrasexual, and infrasexual is a creature whose sexuality is inferior, meaning incapable of creation. Now, that is true. That is a that is true to a degree. They're incapable of creating because homosexual couples cannot conceive by themselves of their own accord, which by the way brings us back to that. Remember at the very beginning, we were talking about the abominations of mechanical science, uh, materialist science, and how um, for certain lesbian couples who want to have a child, the materialist scientists, the geneticists, have been able to take the ovum, um, the sorry, the egg, the egg from one of the partners and convert that egg into some sperm-like thing and then artificially inseminate the other woman, the, the, the other partner, in other words. So you have a lesbian couple that really want to have a child, materialist science through their abominations of nature, and they're and they're and they're uh, twisted. Uh, uh, they have managed to allow these infrasexual beings to procreate. Congratulations. No such thing can happen with homosexual men, of course, as of yet, because as best as we can tell, uh, even though they can do. 
uh, surgery to make themselves look like women as best as we can tell at this point. Uh, they cannot, they cannot give a man a womb or have a man birth a child. Now we've heard some rumors or hearsay that that's been done or has been changed or whatever, but it's, it's, we don't even want to go there. That's such Frankensteinian nonsense. Uh, and, and we don't want to encourage anybody to even think about that. But what is homosexuality then? The fact is that yes, they are infrasexual, of course. But and why? What is specifically? Well, homosexuality comes down to a an expression and a form of extreme sexual vanity. It's narcissism. Now that relates to a previous lifetime when someone who was very narcissistic, they were very in love with themselves, and they were unable, as most narcissists are, to have any sort of viable, meaningful relationship with others. Because of the narcissistic personality, the, the, the way in which their pride, their ego, related to their self-love, prevents them from having a deep and meaningful giving relationship to another because they only really want to give to themselves. A narcissist takes. A narcissist takes. A narcissist wants all the attention, all the energy, all the everything for themselves. But... If a narcissist is also envious, and if a narcissist is not only envious, but lonely, they desire to have a relationship. They desperately, they might, they might, not all narcissists are like this, they might desperately want to be in a relationship. Ideally, conceptually, they might desperately want to be in, uh, in a relationship, but they cannot. Their narcissism prevents them from that with being with the opposite sex. They cannot find someone. Now, if they can find someone that's a match with them energetically, but that other person is just as much of a narcissist as they are, well, you know, this is why so many Hollywood uh, couples break up because many actors, like the latest one that was in the news was Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And they went through these, not only a, a, a terrible divorce, but they had this defamation lawsuit. And we won't go into the details. You can find the details for yourself if you're interested. But uh, Amber Heard was in the court diagnosed and revealed to have multiple psychiatric disorders related to extreme narcissism and sociopathy. And so people who go into uh, a career path where they are the center of attention, not always, but 
many times they suffer from this kind of narcissism. And of course, their, their marriages never last because marriages are all about what you give, like all relationships. It's not about what you get and what you take. It's about what you give. It's what you suffer and what you sacrifice for your partner, for your family, etc., etc. This is where the real fulfillment in life comes from, including relationships. The joy that you get from giving and giving, that's where your heart is fulfilled and your soul feels fulfilled. The longing to give to your partner, the longing to give to your children, etc. To raise them, to nurture them, to take care of them, etc. But a narcissist, right, likes the idea of being with someone and likes the idea of a relationship and wants the comfort and security of that, wants to get the warmth and the comfort and security and wants somebody that's going to give and give and give and give to them. But they can't make it work. And they remain envious and they remain unfulfilled and they develop a terrible disgust for the opposite sex. They are so in love with themselves and they become so frustrated and so bitter at the opposite sex of all these people who are who are unwilling or unable to give them what they want in a relationship they either die alone or you know however but they, if they die with that bitterness in their heart alone but desirous and regretful and envious of all these people who had all this love and they were denied that they were denied love from another and they die a narcissist who is bitter and envious and like this we're describing the cornucopia of egotistical elements in the next lifetime they will be born in such a way with their egos intact their egos now reincorporating into a new body into a new personality into a new family and a new conditioning, a new upbringing. All of the pieces of the puzzle are there to configure themselves in such a way that by the time the, the child turns seven, all the egos are incorporated, the personality is fully developed. Between seven and 14, that child already begins in their subconscious mind plotting and planning and such that when they hit puberty and all the way to 21 so some somewhere between 7 and 21 the child decides that or not consciously but subconsciously that they are not attracted to the opposite sex They've tried that. doesn't work. Not for them. They've tried that. Perhaps many lifetimes they've tried it. It hasn't worked. 
and their narcissism now projects their self-love projects they realize what i want because I, what the the love that i want is self-love i want to be loved by another me and i'm capable of loving another me if i project onto that other person me And what is the most, the all-encompassing, all-important, defining characteristic of sexuality? Of love, of lovemaking. Right? This is undeniable. This is undeniable. This is biological, physical, metaphysical, psychological, and sociological. It is man and woman it is masculine and feminine so that's the the immediate thing the most readily identifiable recognizable aspect of our character of our persona and our character when we are born is our physical vessel the physical body is either male or female, masculine or feminine, barring a few extreme circumstances of hermaphrodites or asexual beings that appear to have no sexual organs whatsoever or zero sexuality. They're, they're asexual. But then there are also hermaphrodites which have one or more elements of both man and woman. And that these are... These are truly genetic uh, outliers and anomalies from the deep, deep, deep history, the deep past of this humanity. And we can get into that. But generally speaking, it's the first thing that a doctor says to a woman who's just given birth. Congratulations. It's a boy. Congratulations. It's a girl. This is not misgendering anyone. It's a fact. What is a boy? What is a girl? It's it's there. It's at it's at the point of birth. Bio, biologically and metaphysically, karma has determined the biological and and metaphysical sex, a gender. You were born this way. You were born that way. You were born that way. You were born into this body, into this vehicle. Now, over time, the first seven years, the egos are reintegrating. The personality is developing. And as the egos from past lives reintegrate, and as we said, if you have the perfect storm, the perfect combination of narcissism, of bitterness, of envy, and of desire, deep desire and envy for that relationship, but you can't get past your own narcissism. So it has to be self-love. And look, even 
in heterosexual couples, even in heterosexual couples, look at uh, look at uh, eHarmony.com, right? That has this big long psychological personality quiz that you fill everything out, and then their algorithms try to match you with someone who's just like you. But all of that personality. It's all just, it's all ego identification. Oh yeah, I like this, I like that, I like this, I like that, I like this, I like that, you know. And I want someone who likes those same things. Why? So it can be nice, comfortable, and secure. So we share all these common things and so on and so forth, And right? What is this? This is the ego's uh, attempt at creating a facsimile of what a soulmate or what a twin soul is. But it's an egotistical personality level thing, what eHarmony does. That the truly deep levels of who we are is our being, our innermost. And that soul bond, that soul connection that we have with others, which cannot be distilled down to a questionnaire. Because it's energetic. But regardless, you see that and in your own experience, you know that you know you get along better with people that you have a lot in common with. So this is what homo this is all that this is all that homosexuality is. Someone, people who want to be that with people who are really like them, more like so much like them that they have to be the same sex. That's all. And you can have homosexual couples where both are very effeminate and you can have homosexual couples where both are very masculine. It's not always that one is more masculine and one is more feminine. Those, those kinds of couples happen too, but that happens with heterosexual couples too. You can have, you can have uh, masculine women with masculine men, and you can have masculine women with effeminate men. And that, they, they can make that work. So this is the same thing with uh, homosexual couples. The that, but that is the nature of homosexuality on the fundamental level. It is simply narcissism and envy and bitterness towards the opposite sex and too many bad experiences trying to negotiate one's narcissism with, with a, a sexual partner of the opposite, opposite sex. And that, and that creates this bitterness where you know, I can't get what I need. I can't get what I want out of, out of heterosexual relationships, but I can get what I want out of a homosexual relationship. Why? Because it's like making love to myself. And let's not forget that, and this comes back to the infrasexual aspect of homosexuality, that homosexuals uh, specifically men, homosexual men, 
can only engage in infrasexual behavior in oral and anal sex that's that's all they have and both oral and anal sex are aspects of fear bundled up with lust and that's a brings another layer of complexity to the issue around homosexuality which relates to fear and that is when we talk about the bitterness towards the opposite sex that bitterness is often related to fear because the, what the narcissist wants is to be able to control their partner and the thing about because they want they want to take 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 and when the partner doesn't keep giving they want to control the partner to keep getting what they want they can't do that you can't control a woman for example you can't do that you just can't there's no that that's never going to work in a relationship a narcissistic male that's trying to control his woman to keep giving him what he wants sooner or later that woman is going to say to hell with you unless she herself falls victim and is so passive that she that she falls into a kind of stockholm syndrome situation where she is filled with so much fear she's a, she's afraid of being alone and so she stays with this abusive person and unfortunately we know that that's actually very common where women stay in abusive relationships psychologically abusive not just physically abusive but psychologically abusive and a relationship where someone takes 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 and another just gives 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 it's a form of abuse but then we have situations where there are individuals who do not feel themselves do not feel themselves fulfilled unless they can take care of someone unless they can give to someone and give 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 that's what they're identified with so sometimes you have this match made in heaven where someone's a narcissist and and selfish and greedy and only thinks about themselves matched up and paired up with someone who is completely selfless and has no sense of self-esteem and no sense of and just and 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 they can only feel fulfilled and only feel like they're alive if they're constantly giving and taking care of someone else so a narcissist who, who can't find someone like that because they tend to be i would say rare but and they end up in bad relationships they can develop a lot of fear towards the opposite sex and that fear the flip side of that fear is the desire to control outcomes the desire to control the opposite sex which as you know is very 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 problematic it leads to it's just it's problematic 
So, the next life, their egos say, to hell with that. To hell with this whole opposite sex thing. It's way too problematic. It's way too complicated. Let's find someone who's so much like us. And you end up in that dominance, uh, dominance and submission um, dynamic. It's not always the case, but oftentimes in a homosexual couple, you can tell, quote, who wears the pants. It's not always the case, but it's just like in, in any heterosexual couple. You can tell, quote, who wears the pants in that family. Not all the time, but certainly uh, when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to sexual, uh, the, the sexual um, relations, someone will have more masculine energy and someone will have more feminine energy. And that which will be expressing itself in that uh As a, as a dominant force. And that's very common, as we said, especially among male heterosexuals, simply because both oral and anal sex are dominance behaviors. Animals in the wild will hump one another and exhibit so-called homosexual behavior, but it's not homosexual behavior, it's dominance behavior. Dogs hump one another to assert themselves and establish dominance. And oral sex is completely and wholly uh, related to uh, control and dominance of the other. Being pleasured, being pleasured without giving any pleasure is completely a dominance type behavior. It's a narcissistic, self-satisfying type of behavior. When someone, quote, pleasures you, but you are not pleasuring them in return. That's oral sex. That's It's infrasexual, right? Because it's an ego thing. It's pure lust. All right, Benjamin chimes in with a comment here. When you say that homosexuality is like narcissistic self-love, and in current society, self-love is like a mantra that media and the new age are promoting, we can see that in today's world, through social media, the world is full of self-loving people. So, in a sense, most people are still infrasexual, although they are in a heterosexual relationship. Um, what we just mentioned about anal sex and oral sex being infrasexual, you know, as well as I do, that anal sex and oral sex are common practices. They are encouraged. They are promoted as healthy sexuality. Both of them, both of them relate to dominance and they're both infrasexual because they are ego-related. And when you talk about social media and narcissism and look, for the longest time, we resisted coming on YouTube and doing these videos because we did not want our our video stream to be about us right we 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 had a kind of disdain for these talking head videos that seemed to be people just you know speaking whatever was on their mind and blah 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 and this and that and oh let the world listen to me and what i care about 
And so we resisted that because we did not want to seem to be being part of the problem. But what you're mentioning is absolutely related. But infrasexuality, as you say, it's, it's, it's in hetero, heterosexual relationships as well. And then, of course, we get into the uh, some of the uh, in-between kind of letters in the alphabet soup, like bisexual and uh, polyamorous and uh, you know, so on and so forth. And that's just lust run amok, run rampant, right? Lust without, without commitment, lust without responsibility. And uh, where novelty, certainly in the polyamorous kind of uh, viewpoint of people sleeping around or just going to nightclubs and hooking up or using Tinder or whatever the, whatever the, the kids are using these days, it's, it's all about this, this desperately trying to fulfill oneself, fill the hole in one's heart with all of these red herrings, because that's what it is. Sexual addiction, for example, is just another addiction. You're just, you're just trying to fill the hole in your heart with sex instead of drugs. And look, this is not a condition that is unique to homosexuals. It is not a condition that's unique to males or females, men or women. Lust is lust. Lust has no gender. Like your innermost being, your true self has no gender. The entities responsible for the construction of the false self have no gender. They are mechanical algorithms. There is nothing. This is why you can live lifetime to lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. You can live in different bodies. You can be different sexes. You can be different cultures, creeds, race, but your egos follow you because the egos adapt. They're like, they're like aspects of a, of, a, of a character in a video game where even if you change the character's appearance, the attributes of that character remain the same. And that's one of the reasons why in the West we develop the w contemporary Western meritocracy of individualism because we recognize that race, creed, culture, religion, gender do not define you as a human being. A human being is defined by the quality of their character 
by their level of being. In other words, their expression as a soul. A ch- human beings are defined by how much of their true self they express in life. A true human being can be male or female, sorry, man or woman, child or old person. A true human being is awake and conscious and knows that this body, this personality, is just a character. I'm a, I am a 3D spacesuit so that my being, my innermost, can be here now experiencing 3D space and expressing in this 3D space, in this virtual reality, this video game, this MMORPG. And any of these alphabet uh, conditions relates to an identification with ego and false self. There is there are no homosexual monads, just as there are no male monads or female monads. They do not exist. All monads are androgynous. Everybody has an innermost being, and everybody has a divine mother. As we said, the entire universe is feminine. The spark, the seed, our innermost Atman may be masculine, but every other aspect of our monad is feminine. Our divine mother, that's why we always say, remember your divine mother and pray to your divine mother because your divine mother is the most important aspect of your being. Benjamin has another comment here and then we want to uh, bring it all around full circle. Uh, Benjamin says, thank you for being brave and talking about this topic. Many people will get offended watching this, especially those who are members of the Alphabet group. You are a blessing for saying truthful words. Look, um, you know, it's it, it can't be easy. But we do not hesitate to speak the truth because this humanity is suffering and these individuals are suffering and even if they think themselves to be happy and contented and you know what if they are happy and they are contented then we're happy for them but it's important for everyone to know, but this includes heterosexuals as well, not just people in the alphabet community. It includes heterosexuals who are who believe themselves to be so-called practicing healthy sexuality because they bought into what the experts have said and what pornography has shown them and what the social norms have accepted as, as acceptable and what's on the cover of magazines and what's inside of those magazines. For example, 
it is now becoming clear, even to those in the psychological and the sex therapy community, that pornography is out and out detrimental in every way, shape, and form. It is very damaging. And at some point in the near future, it will become clear to those same so-called sex therapists and sex experts that masturbation is very, very harmful. At the moment, that's not clear to anyone because that particular practice, sexuality, has been uh, hijacked by the uh, allopathic healthcare and materialist science and the physical medicine and say, oh, but look at all the look at all the positive health benefits you get when you masturbate. Well, the release of sexual energy that's stagnant and putrefied inside the body, there is obviously a short-term positive benefit to that of expunging from the body untransmuted, stagnant, putrefied, inverted sexual energy. In other words, individuals who do not practice pranayama, individuals who do not know anything about the transformation of impressions or the transmutation of the sexual force, if they do not work with the sexual energy in some capacity, the sexual energy must flow. And if it doesn't flow up and in and around and over, if we do not circulate it on a regular basis and transmute it on a regular basis ourselves through mantra, through prayer, through meditation, through pranayama, through good works, through being, in other words, and using and utilizing our sexual energy in the service of the being, in the service of others, if we are not, if we are not taking that sexual force and, and allowing it to flow through us and in us and out of us positively, in a positive way, it's going to figure out a way to flow negatively, down and out. And one of the ways it's going to do that is by absolutely getting us crazy with lust to the point where we have to masturbate or we think we're going to explode. Or we have to masturbate or we because we're depressed and we're being shriveled up. Or it's like we feel like we're being shriveled up from within. And we have to have an orgasm and expunge all that putrid, negative, negatively charged putrefied sexual energy. And so the doctors come along and they see that and they measure, they measure all the, the, the positive uh, physiological things that happen when someone has expunged all this negativity. And they say, oh, look at the, look at the health benefits of masturbation. And then they go and they prescribe it to everybody. How healthy it is, how good it is, how good it is for you. Well, it's not. It's not. Because as that negative, as that sexual energy is leaving, it is feeding lust. It is creating more demons of lust, more egos of lust, more desire. And every time you observe pornography, and if you combine pornography and masturbation, what you are crystallizing in your consciousness and in your subconsciousness, and what you are And, and we can speak of, we can speak on this 
not in some theoretical, hypothetical, or or puritanical way. We we're speaking about this in um, from a from a from the perspective of experience. When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to infrasexuality, and when it comes to all of the sexual norms and what is considered, and also the nature of, for example, the male obsession with things like oral sex and the male obsession with threesomes, the, the, the young man's uh, every man's dream, every man's dream sexual encounter to be with two women at the same time. We can tell you exactly what's behind that, right? That's that's the desire for dominance. What's ego, it's pride combined with fear. Now, of course, expressed through lust. And we can speak from first-hand experience. We can offer testimony, not based on theory or conjecture, but fact, self-evident experiential knowledge about the truth of what we are just sharing with you. In the same way that even modern psychologists have accepted that rape, even though it's called sexual assault, Rape is not lust. Rape is violence. Rape is dominance. Rape is fear. The desire to control. The desire to dominate. Like so much of violence is. To, to conquer, to, to belittle, to degrade. That's what rape is. The best defense is a good offense. That's why it is sexual assault. It is assault sexually. You ratchet that back. You take a few steps back. And you say, ah, I'm going to be pleasured by two women at the same time. Now I'm, I'm, what are some of these? I'm, I'm Caligula, right? I have my harem of women who are going to pleasure me, who worship the ground that I walk on. How does one get to the desire to feel that way? if not by degrading others. And then, of course, we can mention all the domination and submission, the S&M stuff, right? And, and the, someone's a, a, a dom and some are a sub, right? Is, are, do we have these terminology correctly? And again, it's, it's this power, it's this control dynamic. It's being expressed sexually. And it said, well, 
you know, what people do in the bedroom is their business. Well, yeah, it is their business. But the fact that nobody understands or comprehends what's really going on. Why do I want to treat someone? Why do I want to play out this fantasy? Why can I, why do I not get sexually aroused unless I'm playing out this fantasy, unless I'm putting this person and degrading them? Or the flip side, why can I not get aroused unless someone is degrading me, unless someone is putting me into a submissive position and making of me their, their slave? Their sex slave, even if it is just a fantasy, even if it is just playtime. The imagination is an incredibly powerful tool. Imagination is more important than knowledge, Einstein famously said. We use our conscious imagination. Imagination is a quality of consciousness. So when that imagination gets subverted, gets taken over by ego and fantasy is what it is utilized for and playing out the scenarios the fantasies of ego why and all of this all of this it all has one outcome it all has one end on the sexual side the egos want to feed on sexual energy. And the best way they know how to do that is to get us to climax, to get us to have an orgasm. And if we're having an orgasm and, and that orgasm is being had only under the circumstances where our fear or our pride or our 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 vanity or our narcissism is 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 engaged we're having a kind of ego orgy and when that orgasm takes place that sexual force that creative force of the universe that's inside of us energizes and flows through and into all of those demons all of those egos that are active through that so-called fantasy or sexual act or sexual assault or whatever, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. Or even that pornography and that masturbation or just closing our eyes and fantasizing and masturbating. The imagination is there, is being utilized by lust. And what we are crystallizing, what we are creating is the environment we are we are creating a incubator for more and more and more and more and ever more intense and ever more elaborate and ever more violent ever more dominant or submissive or more extreme, ever more extreme expressions of those egos. And 
that quote unquote sexuality because the sexual force is the creative force. So when we talk about infrasexuality, we could talk about all of this. This is the 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 alphabet community, okay? The alphabet community, they are unfairly targeted. Now they use that victimhood as a political weapon. We know this, right? And mostly white heterosexual uh, women use their marginal uh, minority status as a marginalized group, as a victim group. White heterosexual women who are, quote, woke, who are SJWs and who are this ra- on this radical liberal bandwagon will utilize and exploit these marginalized groups in the same way that they exploit people of color and other minority groups that are so-called marginalized and 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 um, uh, victim groups. Radical the radical left loves to exploit victim groups in order to gain political power because that's what that's what it's all about. It's all about power, power and control and dominance. So. But again, the alphabet people, they they somehow end up, for example, under the scrutiny of the conservatives and the right, who, over on their side, well, as long as you're in a heterosexual, loving heterosexual relationship, anything goes. Um, no, infrasexuality is infrasexuality. Animal sexuality is animal sexuality. An orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm. The law of karma and mechanical nature and divine nature, natural law doesn't care why you had that orgasm or with whom you had that orgasm. If you set out to indulge lust and you indulged it and you do so on a regular basis with intent, it doesn't matter that you're in a, quote, loving Christian relationship. The egos that you're creating, the lust that you're creating doesn't care that you call yourself a Christian. You're creating more lust. You're creating more demons of lust. That's what you're doing. It's scientific. That is what you are doing. And that is an infrasexual act. It's animal sexuality. You are, what you are affirming is your status as an intellectual animal. You may call yourself a human being. You may call yourself heterosexual. You may call yourself Christian. You may call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. All of that is just ego identification. In the same way that the alphabet people have their letters and their identities and their ego identification, they take pride. They even call it Pride Month. 
and they even go on pride parades in the same way that they do that, you, the right-wing Christian heterosexual, you're proud that you're in a loving relationship in the bond of matrimony, and you're proud of that fact while you and your wife do God knows what in the bedroom. There's no difference. There's no difference. Fundamentally, ultimately, there is no difference. Come to think of it, we meditated on this. And if there's any homosexual people who end up watching this, and they're particularly offended by it, you should know that we've meditated on this. And it is possible for a homosexual couple to practice a rudimentary version of white tantra with one another. Now, will it be as potent or as powerful as if a heterosexual couple practices? No. And can the homosexual couple practice this by doing penetration, um, uh, anal sex? No, you cannot, because anal sex is infrasexual, and you and you cannot practice white tantra by doing oral sex. You cannot practice white tantra in anal sex. But if you're a heterosexual couple, and those are the, those are the normal ways you practice sex, if you are willing to no longer practice that. You can, together as a couple, practice a lower or more rudimentary form of sexual transmutation. It is possible. It is possible. There is a way. You can become, you can be intimate with one another. With one another. You simply have to refrain from orgasm. You remember your Divine Mother, you pray to your Divine Mother, you breathe, you do the mantras, E-A-O, E-Sa, you, and you pray to your Divine Mother, you transmute the sexual force. But, we hazard Tibet that just like most heterosexual couples, most homosexual couples will react vehemently against white tantra, against sexual alchemy and the transmutation of the sexual force. Most heterosexual people refuse to accept white tantra and sexual alchemy. They refuse to abstain from orgasm. They refuse to give up the orgasm. They vehemently defend the orgasm. They're right to have it and that there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with orgasm from a spiritual perspective. God wouldn't have created it if, if he didn't intend us to have it and enjoy it. Except that that's what the entire book of Genesis is about. In the story of the Garden of Eden. We were allowed to enjoy 
the tree of knowledge. We could sit under it. We can enjoy it. We can dance around it. We can, we can enjoy its shade. We just simply were not supposed to eat of its fruit. We can have sex. We can enjoy sex. We can be with the person we love. And if you've ever experienced white tantra, if you've ever experienced a transmutation of sexual force with someone that you're deeply in love with, it's a magical experience. That's why it's called white magic. It's magical. You're, you're literally making love. You are literally transmuting lust into love. And if, you've ne- if you have never experienced that, you are in no position to say that it's ridiculous or it's not this or it's not that or it's not whatever. All you have in its place is animal sexuality. All you have in its place is the fleeting seconds of, of, of the spasm in heart, mind, and body. And that and that energetic release and 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 the the euphoria and the chemicals and and all, all the rest of it that goes along with that. That's all you have to put on the balance scales. On the other side, is the creation of love itself, the synthesis of Christic atoms of the Christ. Because what is the Christ? Christ is the union of divine masculine and divine feminine, not animal masculine and animal feminine, but divine masculine and divine feminine. The sexual energy that is being transmuted from lust into love. And when divine masculine, divine feminine, when the fires of the divine feminine rise up through the spinal column, illuminating all the chakras and arrive in the crown chakra and unite in immaculate conception with the fires of the Holy Spirit, as in the Pentecostal fires atop the the apostles' heads. Then the fire of divine feminine unites with the fires of divine masculine in immaculate conception and gives rise to what? The fire of the fire and the light of lights of the cosmic Christ. That is what we can testify to. That is what's on the other side of the balance scale. So you're going to put all your animal pleasure and all your lust and all your domination and submission and your oral sex and your anal sex and all the sex gurus and sex addicts and all the pornography and everything else. You're going to put all that on the balance scale and you're going to say that is worth more than giving rise and giving birth to the cosmic Christ and the self-realization, self-actualization of your innermost being, of your innermost spark, your essence. Because that sexual force is ultimately feminine. Because the universe is feminine. This is what we began in the beginning. When we talk about gender, we talk about what is a woman, we have to understand what is the feminine. The entire universe is feminine. It is the stuff which fulfills us. And we said, what is the masculine? It's a spark. It's just a spark. It's a seed. It's a potential. And in all of us, our innermost being, our essence is just that, a spark, a seed, a potential. Now, how are we going to be fulfilled as a being, as a soul, as a monad, as an individuated essence of the Christ? 
if we cannot give birth to the Christ within us, if we cannot be born again of the waters in the Spirit, if we take the stuff, the stuff that is meant to fulfill us and fulfill our mission in life, to fulfill our purpose for being, if we take that and give it to ego and give it to demons and waste it and spill it, how are we going to achieve one when the stuff that's there that, that, that our Divine Mother is making available to us, all that we need to be, we're wasting. On what? On fleeting moments of pleasure. Woman means of man, but that man is not, was not a male man. In the time of Lemuria, this humanity was transitioning from protoplasmic to into the into the physical and during that time it was decided that this humanity which was androgynous this humanity would be separated into two genders the lemurians had the capacity so prior to lemuria humanity had the capacity with protoplasmic bodies to basically, as we described earlier, would just be, they would, they would form couples. But each one, uh, would either be slightly more masculine or slightly more feminine. But it was decided that they would be separated into two sexes to more clearly define those differences and have them expressed in a more clear way. This is when woman was created as we understand it and as we know it. There are many humanities in the cosmos where there is no gender as such. There are no men and there are no women. There's just... They're just, they're just men. They're just humans. They're, they're, of course, not humans. They're extraterrestrial. But you understand what we're getting at. Is that the separation of man into, from, of man into the two sexes is expressed in the Bible when God takes a rib one of Adam's ribs and then fashions a, a woman. That's a very crude uh, imagery of the hermaphrodite man, the hermaphrodite human being separated into male and female, man and woman, as we understand them, as we know them today. Now, 
there is another aspect to there are several different things going on at this time because we are in the Kali Yuga, we are at the end of this humanity. And mechanical nature is preparing for the emergence of the next humanity on this planet. Just as this humanity was never always men and women, it is possible that the next humanity will no longer have to deal with this question of gender. In other words, humanity is experiment, or humanity, mechanical nature is experimenting with the removal of gender from from humanity and we've said many times that egos work for mechanical nature egos belong to mechanical nature egos do what mechanical nature requires of them what mechanical nature demands that's why the egos it's egos that get us to go to war and spill blood. It's egos that get us to do all these things because our physical bodies and that blood and that energy and that prana and everything belongs to mechanical nature. We don't want to get into a huge, big, comprehensive discussion about this because we can go, we can go on and on and on and on for how this humanity uh, shirks its responsibilities to the planet and therefore we have to the the planet has to make us spill our blood constantly and spill our semen and spill our sexual force constantly in order to continue to feed it the essential energy that it's supposed to get from this humanity because this because every humanity is part of the the digestive system of a planet we've discussed we've discussed this in the past but uh, it's worthwhile mentioning in brief And also, it is worthwhile mentioning that feminism and homosexuality and all these things always arise and come into the fore and come into the public sphere and assert themselves at the end of a civilization. They did so in Greece. They did so in Rome. They certainly did so in Babylon. And in every other civilization, at the beginning and throughout the fall of the civilization, the traditional nuclear family and the heterosexual union of man and woman came under attack and came under attack from within and without and homosexuality feminism in other words re the recategorizing and recalibrating of gender roles 
Why? Because the traditional gender roles are what built the civilization. Well, once the civilization has reached its peak and it's time for it to go into decline, what happens? The same reason why women go into menopause, so they can't have any more babies. Same reason why feminism and homosexuality and all of this transgender stuff and everything comes in because anybody goes through gender reassignment surgery or whatever, they're not going to have any babies. Homosexuals, generally speaking, don't have kids. And feminists who put career and success and everything else ahead of being a, quote, baby factory, many of them don't want kids and don't have kids. But more importantly, what is the feminine force? The feminine force is the passive, the receptive, what gives and fulfills and nurtures and enables and supports the notions, the concepts, the sparks, the seeds, the ideas of the masculine. So in other words, the vision, the dream of the great civilization, it is the women who make it happen. The men have the ideas and the men actively do the work and everything, but what supports them, what gives them the, the, the people and the labor and the food and everything else that they need in order to be able to fulfill their vision and their mission of that civilization, that all comes from women. All of it. And what's more is the women also, the feminine, gives them everything they need, including the breaks, including the tests, challenges, and, and ordeals. That's all the divine mother. That's all the divine feminine. And that is women in the society. We can recommend a very, very good book written by uh, David Daida. It's called The Way of the Superior Man. If you want to learn more about the feminine and the masculine and the relationship between the two, uh, read David Daida's book, The Way of the Superior Man. Even though it seems to be very male-focused and male-centric, the book is completely female. Again, why? Because the spark, the seed, is the reason for the soil. Right? There's no... The soil is feminine. The soil is going to what's give life and what's going to create the giant sequoia out of the little seed. That giant sequoia is literally transmuted, transformed soil and light and carbon dioxide. That's what that giant sequoia is. But it can't do it without that soil. And, and without the soil that and without the seed, that soil is nothing. It's just soil. It's just it's it's just waiting. It's a it's waiting, desperately waiting, desperately longing for a seed to come. Pardon the pun. So the way of the superior man reveals what the feminine force is there for. And again, we can use man as human because in terms of 
the fulfillment and the actualization, the self-actualization, the self-realization of a human being. A human being as a man or as a woman, we can look to, for example, Joan of Arc. Now, Joan of Arc even pretended to be a boy. Why? Because it's the only way Joan of Arc could get into the military and fulfill her, her work, her mission, her life's work. But interesting, like this, this whole question of gender and male and women role, look at Cleopatra, look at Queen Elizabeth, look at countless people throughout history that have suffered and struggled against the, the, the confines of what is traditionally male man and what's traditionally woman. But what is male and female doesn't change. And we all have male and female within us, regardless of what body we are in. But do we or do we not trust our karma? Do we or do we not trust our fate? Do we choose to follow our ego? And do we choose to follow our desires versus entering into the flow state? and allowing and surrendering to the path that's been laid out for us by our own Divine Mother, who is there to give us all we need in order to be truly fulfilled, in order to self-actualize and self-realize as that spark, as that seed is born again of the waters in the Spirit. Whether you are a man or whether you are a woman, these are the primary issues that you should be concerned with. Period. End of story. Regardless of what you want or think or whatever, it doesn't, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Who you truly are, what you truly are, is a seed, is a spark. And your Divine Mother is orchestrating your entire life in support of that seed, in support of that spark becoming what it was born to be. Now, you have the free will to say, screw that, and say, to hell with that, to hell with my Divine Mother, to hell with everything, I'm going to do what I want. You have the free will to do that. But that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it true. And it doesn't give you the right to, to believe that you can change the definitions across the board for everybody based on your desire. That is the ultimate, ultimate in self-righteous narcissism. It is the ultimate in hubris. It is the mental state of a two-year-old throwing a hissy fit and a temper tantrum in a grocery store. Because his or her mother won't buy her a box of Fruit Loops. No, you have to eat Special K. Yeah, but I want my Lucky Charms. No, you have to eat Special K. But I want my Lucky Charms. It's no different. There's no difference. None. Zero. It is as ridiculous demanding that nature change in order to accommodate your desires. 
It is the utmost in arrogance. It is the absolute utmost in degenerated human hubris. It is what's behind all the abominations of nature and all the the sins of materialist science. Oh, we're going to change nature to meet our desires. It is what is behind the rape of the natural world, which is the rape of the Divine Mother. It is violence against your own Divine Mother. Now she can take it. What is a woman? A woman is that sort of strength, that sort of resilience, that kind of patience, that kind of love. And the kind of love which is not afraid to come and kick you in the ass over and over and over and over again until you smarten up. Because love is severity and mercy. Because your Divine Mother can take it, and she has infinite patience. But that's only half the equation. The other half is she is not afraid. She is not squeamish. And she does not care what you or anybody else is going to judge her as. She's completely fearless in her, in her truth. Because her truth, your Divine Mother's truth, is the truth. So whatever you think your truth is, your truth does not hold a candle to your Divine Mother's truth. The truth about your truth. And she will spank you ground you, beat you. Life will do that to you, and life will keep doing that to you until you smarten up. Until you become the man or the woman you were born to be. Period. And if it takes, it doesn't matter how many lifetimes it takes. She will keep doing that. And guess what? If still, after 108 lifetimes, you haven't smartened up, what is a woman? A woman is the one who will say, you know what? We did everything we could for you. We gave you every opportunity. We even tried to knock sense into you. But you're so obstinate, you're so stubborn, you're so ignorant, you're so self-righteous and self-centered and narcissistic. Now we have no choice. We have no other choice. You are so identified with, me with mechanicity and mechanical nature, you are so identified with your egos and what your egos tell you, and what your ego mind says, you're so mesmerized and hypnotized, you're so obstinate and enslaved by that. Well, we have no other choice but to let you go. You've made your bed, now you have to sleep in it, dear.
And that means devolution and the second death. That means descending into Klipoth, into psychological hell, and going down the downward spiral into hell until mechanical nature can cleanse you of all of your egos and reinsert you into the mineral kingdom as a cleaned, formatted monad, like a formatted hard drive, blank, blank slate. And you start your journey all over again from the, from the beginning. And you lose all of the gnosis, all of the experience, all of the everything you've ever had is lost, is gone, wiped, wiped clean. Like formatting a hard drive to get rid of all the malware. Because sooner or later, if you don't smarten up, if you don't do the anti-malware software, right? If you don't clean out your computer while well, you still have a chance, eventually, the only thing that can save your computer is wipe the hard drive and reinstall everything from scratch. But then you lose all your data. What is a woman? A woman is the biological embodiment and expression in human form of all that we've described, which is attributable to the, to the Divine Mother and the Divine Feminine Force. That's what a woman is. Well, that's what she has the potential to be. That's what a woman is when she is a true human being. So there's no wonder why nobody can answer the bloody question. When the person asking and the people answering aren't even true human beings. They don't even know to ask the question, what is divine masculine and what is divine feminine? They don't even know about the law of three. So of course nobody can answer the question. And of course the only answers you get are superficial biological answers. Or trite, simplistic answers that are clever and, you know, dismissive. Of course nobody can answer this question. Of course this documentary can't answer the question. No one should be surprised. You have to know what a true human being is first before you can answer what is a woman. You have to have intimate, intimate knowledge of your own Divine Mother and everything that she does for you in order to be able to answer this question. You have to be in a loving relationship with your mother, biological mother, or your sister, or your wife, and pay very specific attention. It's like Jordan Peterson says in the documentary, you want to know what a woman is? Marry one and find out. It's one of the most trite, clever responses in the whole of the documentary. But there's more truth in Jordan Peterson's response than just about anybody's.
Benjamin has another question. And the question is, I have a question about the Genesis text about God separating men and women. In some Gnostic texts, like the Revelation of Adam, it was said that God divided Adam in wrath. Originally, Adam was androgynous. Was this God the Demiurge? No. The Demiurge is what the Demiurge is what separates man from God, not what separated man from woman. The Demiurge is the intercessor spirit um, between God and man. That's what the Demiurge is. It's a It is, in a way, as the human soul is the intercessor between the lower self and the mo and the 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 higher self, the the innermost. The human soul, we have to develop that in order to, to create that union and become as one. But this question of Remember that in biblical texts and in spiritual texts, very often you will see this expression that God did this out of wrath and God did this out of vengeance and God did this out of uh, to punish. And these are words which were used by those writing and translating and rewriting these texts in an attempt to be able to identify with or put into context in a way that people could understand and relate to God. Because remember that God is unrelatable. The absolute is unknowable. It's 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 nothing. It's unknowable. Its very nature is to be unknown and unknowable. So a mortal person cannot begin to relate to an omnipotent, omnipresent, unknowable entity. And there are other signs and hints in spiritual texts which reveal the truth and that is the lord works in mysterious ways god is a mystery the absolute is a mystery the trinity is a mystery there are so many mysteries they're a mystery because to us mortals they're mysterious they're unknowable we must be born again we must first awaken and then later self-realize self-actual uh self-realize and become one with the logos and then then we can become one with the mystery. Which is why we always say, you know, know thyself and you will know the universe and the gods because the mystery is within you. You are the mystery. And the ego exploits that because the ego doesn't like not knowing. The ego 
uh, out of fear and out of the search for comfort and security, says, oh, okay, 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 here's a false self that you can know, that you can be sure about. We'll distract you with all of these worldly concerns and these cravings and aversions. And that's its job, right? To keep you from unraveling the mystery that is you. So, God does not do anything out of wrath. God does not do anything out of jealousy, out of, out of punishment. No, He doesn't. But the mysterious things that happen are interpreted certain ways and seen certain ways. And in order to explain it in words in such a way that the average non-Gnostic initiate, non-student of esotericism can understand, they put them in terms, they personify God. Well, well let's, let, let's, be, let's be honest. That's why God is the old white-haired, white-bearded man in the sky. Right? Why the person he's personified. Because, and that's why God becomes man, why there are bodhisattva, why there are God men, Pharaoh, and Jesus, and Moses, and Abraham, and so on and so forth. Because how, how is humanity supposed to relate to an omnipresent, omnipotent, non-unknowable non entity? How do you relate to that? How do you have a relationship with that? So you have to break down that entity into its various different modalities. So you have, for example, shamanism and many of the Aboriginal faiths and so on, that they, they worship nature. God is in everything, right? God is omnipotent and omnipresent. Well, then you can worship nature and you can have a relationship with God. And they have a relationship with their ancestors the spirits of their ancestors. It's very important to them. And their dream quests and vision quests and so on. And the shamans have their, they do their their, their substances and they go on their trips and, and so on and so forth. And they have their limited relationship and they structure and they conceptualize and they, they create constructs that they can relate to. So it is with scripture, so it is with expressions like God divided Adam in wrath. No, he didn't. God divided Adam so that Adam could know himself better. That's where the expression better half comes from. Now the ego exploited that as well. What is a woman? There's a reason why in all ancient societies were matriarchal. 
Do you know that in Judaism, your Judaism, your Jewishness is passed on by the mother? So in other words, if you do not have a Jewish mother, you're not Jewish. If you have if you have a Jewish mother, you're Jewish. Doesn't matter what your father is. Let's be clear. If you have a Jewish mother, you can have a Gentile father, you can have a Chinese father. Doesn't matter. You're Jewish if you have a Jewish mother. You're not half Jewish, you're Jewish. If you have a Jewish father and a non-Jewish mother, you're nothing. What is a woman? That is a woman. A woman bears the traditions, the culture, the race. To bear means to carry, not just to give birth to, but to carry, to nurture, to hold, to... to, to We can say in no uncertain terms, speaking as Atlas, who upholds the pillars of heaven and earth. We know, we know, and why we were a mama's boy, and why we learned how to identify with and express and work with and appreciate and learn so many typically feminine qualities. What is a woman? A woman is the foundation of reality, the foundation of society, the foundation of race, of culture, of creed, of everything. She is the better half, to men anyway. She is our better half, period. But if you're an ego, if you're an egotistical, if you're egotistical, and you're afraid that you're not good enough, you're afraid that you're the weaker sex, what are you going to do? course the best defense is a good offense of course you're going to build yourself up by putting your better half down of course you're going to convince through all sorts of rationalizations and all sorts of like by 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 doing physical labor and building muscle and becoming and and allowing your physical strength and physical dominance out of fear is the desire to control that dominance behavior is all fear based it's all fear and that urge to violence that aggression that that expressive active force when it gets when it gets uh, hijacked by ego the active force turns into the aggressive force 
and the woman's passive, feminine passive force gets twisted and corrupted into the submissive force. And then you have this, this terrible, terrible dichotomy. But because women are the stronger sex, and they are the stronger sex, they are the better sex, they are our better half, they are the expression and the embodiment of our Divine Mother. Period. This is not hearsay, conjecture, or theory. You look at the resilience of women throughout history. Men cannot hold a candle to that. That is why men are constantly trying and discovering new ways to assert themselves. Because the, at most they can dominate in things like sports. But there are some areas like creativity and so on and, and so forth. Because again, the masculine spark, the active, the creative, uh, the, 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 the conceptual side. So there are there is a balance. There is a balance. But on balance, on balance, no man can accomplish uh, truly what he was born to do and what he was meant to do without, without the help of a woman, without the strength and support of a woman. Truly. That's why she is his better half. Now, in modern times, that's been converted where women say, oh, he's my better half. Whatever. No, 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 no. That's, that's all nonsense. That's all nonsense. <clears throat> and all you have to do is look at the matriarchal societies and the fact that all ancient societies were matriarchal. This whole hunter-gatherer and we came from apes and we came from this and that is all that, that, that nonsense out of the way right? Women, the feminine is the foundation of reality. The entire universe is feminine. All of nature is feminine. The, the feminine force inside of us, it is the creative force. It is what we have to work to create with. The man is just the spark. It's just the idea. It's just the potential. The, the heavy lifting is all feminine and it's all woman. That's why when women assert themselves and feminism arise and say, that's it, you know what, we've had enough, that's why soon after the civilization collapses. When women stand up and say, when the women, when mechanical nature and the egos of the women say, I'm now out for myself, the civilization cannot stand because women are the foundation of civilization. If women stand up for themselves, and say what's most what matters most is me and i what i want matters most when women start doing that the civilization cannot survive because the civilization was only built and only exists because of women's innate embracing of their feminine nature to nurture and to fulfill to give of themselves and to nurture and fulfill their family, their, their, their husbands, their children, their family, their community. And this grows up from microcosm to macrocosm. The entire civilization is women's strength and women's uh, uh, embracing of their feminine nature. 
as soon as women start asserting themselves and start behaving like men, this is the warning sign. This is the red flag that that civilization is on the, on the decline and will collapse. Because when women come out of the household and come out of supporting their their the masculine and they're in it for themselves, they're behaving more like men, civilization can't survive. It will collapse. Now, this was, we don't know if anybody ever expressed it this way it, during the, uh, the suffragette movement or whatever, but it doesn't matter. It is what it is. Every civilization can only go so far. It reaches its peak and then it goes into decline. This is one of the signs. This is one of the ways in which civilizations are destroyed. Mechanical nature has women asserting their own rights and their own desires instead of, it, it, it has them no longer identifying as women. It has them identifying as feminists, as, 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 as men in women's bodies. They st they're still women. They still want to be women, but they want to be women on their own terms. They want to define what a woman is. So they no longer embrace their femininity in the same way. They define a new kind of femininity. And it's a femininity of selfishness, really. And a civilization, if when, once women disalign themselves with the divine feminine, then anything that was built before has to collapse. And that's part of the process. That's, that's why we say egos work for mechanical nature, because this is how this operates. This is how, if all of nature is feminine, and civilization is built uh, through, the, and all the resources come from nature, and the men and women who built that civilization are also a part of that nature, but it's all feminine. If the bodily expression of the feminine force, women, suddenly become in it for themselves, and not in this cooperative, ecosystemic support for the, for the building and the nurturing of the civilization, that civilization cannot stand. It will fall. Because on the pillars of masculine and feminine, you can't have a building, you can't have an arch with one pillar. It doesn't work. It'll collapse. With two pillars, an arch is the strongest form in nature and the strongest form in architecture. But you need two pillars, masculine and feminine. If the feminine are in it for themselves, they're not there to uphold their end of the bargain anymore. The bargain collapses. Period. It's just, it's self-evident. It's self-evident. And you look at the world today and you look at it going to hell in a handbasket. And say, how can, you, how can you question it? Look at Babylon, look at Greece, look at Rome. Look at the rise of uh, the uh, uh, feminism in Rome. Uh, the emancipation of women, so-called, in, in Roman times and everything else. Now, does that justify and does that say that the way that women were treated in Rome before they asserted themselves was right? No, we're not saying it was right. In fact, what we're saying is because women are the stronger, more important, more substantial Sex 
the ego in men demanded that they be suppressed, that they be uh, uh, subjected. Because the ego is like that. It's like, it's little dog syndrome. Do you, do you guys know what little dog syndrome is? You know, if you ever go to a dog park and the little dogs are always, yep, 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 and they're always, and they're always trying to, you know, stand up to the big dogs. And we, we had a little dog. We had a little terrier, right? Wolfie, our, our little Karen Terrier. And our little Karen Terrier would pick fights with, with any, any, with any big dog because our, our Karen Terrier thought he was the biggest dog in the dog park, or at least he, he made himself out to be that. It's little, it's little dog syndrome. That's why men are, you know, obsessed with size, you know, bodybuilding and, and, and building fortunes and building empires. Oh, Alexander wept for there were no worlds left to conquer, right? This is all, this is something that, that traditionally women tended not to do. But if a woman was in love with a man, and that man decided that, well, I'm going to go and conquer half the world. She could get behind him and she would support him in accomplishing that task. But very, very, you very, very, very few women in history were like themselves conquerors. Like you don't hear of, you know, you don't, you don't hear about Alice the Hun. You hear about Attila the Hun, but you don't hear about Aniko the Hun, right? You don't hear about... Um, Alexandria the Great, right? It's Alex, it's Alexander the Great. There, there was no, there, we can't think of, of many women conquerors who like, and women empire builders, right? Because it's not, it's not in their nature. It's not the feminine nature to do that. But <laughs> whether it was, Attila the Hun had, I don't know how many wives, Alexander the Great, all, the, all these conquerors and, and what, they all had women beside them and behind them, beneath them, right? Like, propping them up, helping them to, to achieve whatever it was they were achieving. So they can do that. And, and, and they, and many, 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 many did just that. And many still do just that because that is the feminine nature to, to help, to fulfill and help that spark, that seed to realize whatever destiny or, you know, that he was meant to do. And if, and you know that this this is a very common thing about charismatic leaders. Um, Osho, right, is one. Osho, this this guru, this supposed guru, back in the seventies and eighties, and he he came from India, and he had that he created that ashram down in the United States, and he would have they would have these massive orgies. Osho had something like you know, f more than forty Rolls Royces when his empire finally collapsed and he had you know so many concubines so many of these women who were just throwing themselves at his feet and he had he arranged for them to have they were always having these sex these these orgies these um these pansexual orgies all of his followers and so he was able to um charismatic leaders and gurus and whatnot are able to cast a spell over women very often because that feminine nature is drawn to bright sparks and bright sparks that that appear to have all of this potential or whatever so that's why women for example 
throw themselves at rock stars. Just it, it, it's because of that energy and that sexual energy that they exude through them. Like women are women can be very susceptible to that because they are very susceptible to potency. Remember we talked about the spark as potential, and but without without something to light on fire, without the fuel, the spark is impotent. But the but the bigger the spark, right? The the bigger the potential, the greater the potency, the greater the attraction, the irresistibility of that. To to the fuel, to the to the to the feminine, which which has all she has to give as fuel to that spark, to that potency. Right? It's 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 the yin and the yang, but it's that they they complete one another. And so for for women who 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 want, for example, a strong man in their life. They want that strong masculine energy, that strong masculine force. So you, of course, a rock star on stage is harnessing all the sexual energy of literally tens of thousands of people and channeling that up through the music and that music is stimulating the sexual centers and everything else. And those, those rock stars, those musicians are dancing and writhing and singing and they're the, the, the lyrics and the music and the beat and everything is causing all sorts of physiological uh, um, stimulation in the in those women and the women are getting caught up in the energy and it's like like well we've all been to a rock concert right but remember go go and and look up some of the old uh, Beatles and Elvis Presley footage. And how the girls were just losing their minds and screaming and yelling. And it was causing mass hysteria upon women. They're like, what the hell is going on? What is that? Well, we'll tell we're telling you exactly what that is. Those women aligned with and connected with their with their feminine nature, but holy nature was not prepared for something like rock and roll. Like nature is not prepared for a rock concert with lights and 250,000 watts of sound and, 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 the, the, and all of the energy, all the metaphysical energy that's going around. A poor, innocent virgin, you know, barely 16 or 18, like that's completely overwhelming. We got to go back to the, the the 50s and 60s now. We're not talking about women today, but back to 50s and 60s. Because women today have been conditioned from a young age to be sexual creatures. Thanks to teen vogue and everything else, women today are, have, been, have been taught and trained in school even that they are sexual creatures and to be sexualized and to dress up like whores and everything else. But at that time, the world wasn't ready. The women wasn't ready. The sexual force, the, the, the feminine force was not prepared for the onslaught of this kind of hyper-masculine expression. So it, it, it drove them into a kind of hysteria because they, they couldn't process the level at which their femininity was drawn to that type of alpha male, for lack of a better expression. That type of 
alpha ex expression of maleness, that potency is irresistible. It's irresistible. Like attracts like. And that's why four guys out of Liverpool could drive all the women uh, across Europe and the UK and Europe and America absolutely insane. Absolutely uh, put them in hysterics with some with some beats and some some guitar riffs and 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 some lyrics and their their hair and their and all the rest of it all the rest of it right so look at Elvis Presley look at any of these these situations look at any any uh, rock concert and look at the fact that you look at the rock uh, the um, the metal bands from the eighties and and whatnot and you just read about their exploits and how the roadies would bring in girls from the audience after every every show and whatnot. This is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The three things go together. It was it's 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 was creating the euphoria and everything else, and and it the 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 physiological and psychological um, um, expressions of all that to a naive, unsuspecting uh, woman. Right. This was, this was, this was just like a drug. This was just like, it was absolutely because at that time, women were so in tune and so aligned with their sexual force. We don't see, we still see it happening, but it's, 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 it's not that much of a novelty as it was. Right, and not only that. Again, women have been sexualized at a very young age, and they've also been indoctrinated into feminism, and they've been indoctrinated into you can be whatever you want to be, and you should be whatever you want to be, and that there, and then this whole new gender studies things and everything else that's been they've been uh, bombarded with. So, women are becoming less and less and less aligned with their feminine nature, and they're being becoming much more neutral. Um, much more gender neutral in that sense, despite the fact that they're in a woman's body and they might still be attracted by the opposite sex. But psychologically and in many ways, they're becoming much, they're being encouraged to become much more gender neutral. And this may, well, this is very much in alignment with mechanical nature, which is experimenting with the elimination of genders altogether and elimination of the two sexes altogether. And it's possible that the next humanity on this planet will just be one gender or masculine and feminine can never be eliminated so but they will not be physically there will not be physically two sexes there will just be one sex but masculine and feminine will still be very present and very real except that the differences will be much more subtle and that even though each human being will have both masculine and feminine in them, it'll just be one will be a little bit more feminine, one will be a little bit more masculine. And on that basis, they will they will decide to 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 unite and form a union. But it still will be a monogamous union during the golden age. And um, all of the other rules and laws of white tantra and everything else will still apply. It's just that this 
additional complexity of two sexes may be eliminated from the uh, equation moving forward simply because it has been such a source of suffering and such a source of inequality and such a source of violence and all the other problems social and otherwise which have come along with that for this humanity and in previous humanities but especially for this humanity the way that it it has unfolded so that it, that may be reversed that may change for the next humanity and we may be witnessing that experimentation by mechanical nature in all of this alphabet soup um and all of these societal things and the questioning the traditional gender roles etc 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 and the desire like for example for the the government to raise your children instead of your instead of their mother and all of this nonsense because that's ridiculous right that's that's nonsensical the government is the last entity in the world that should be raising anybody the only thing they're really good at is raising taxes and that's about it okay so that's three and a half hours getting into the real guts the real metaphysical foundations and the nitty-gritty of what is a man what is a woman what is the what is masculine what is feminine what does all that mean what are the metaphysical energetic foundations of it all and how does that translate and how does that relate to not only um so-called alphabet sexuality and alphabet lifestyle but also heterosexuality and heterosexual lifestyle and traditional gender roles etc cetera, etc cetera. we covered a lot of ground but ultimately we gave all of that as a background but ultimately what it comes down to is a woman is the biological physical psychological sociological expression of the divine feminine force in human form that's what a woman is it's a it's a human it's the expression of the divine feminine in humanity the ultimate expression of the divine feminine through a humanity that's what a woman is a woman is the better half the better sex she is the personification now this, this this is the word we were searching for a woman is the personification of the divine feminine period full stop that's what a woman is physical biological sociological psychological personification of the divine feminine the embodiment of the divine feminine in, in human form so you have to answer the question what is the divine feminine that's what you need the three and a half hours for because the divine feminine is everything <laughs> and being able to encapsulate her nature and everything that she does for us and uh on all these different levels 
in three and a half hours and has it and how that all translates into sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we tried to cover all of our bases. And uh, obviously none of this was edited, none of this was scripted. And uh, we think that, um, well, three and a half hours, so slightly more than double the length of, uh, of Mr. Walsh's film. Really, he should have done he, he should have done a miniseries on this, not a 90-minute documentary. But in any case, that is our definitive comprehensive answer to the question. And it is definitive and hopefully comprehensive. And hopefully uh, we have we have certainly done our best to try to answer the question and do so in a way which is self-evident and experiential. So next time you see a woman, remember you are looking at a personification of the divine feminine. And next time you see a woman behaving badly or a woman behaving in a way that you think is unbecoming of a divine feminine personification of the divine feminine, then you know you are dealing with a personification of the divine feminine who is riddled with egos and suffering from egos and is asleep and is unaware that she has the potential to be a living, breathing embodiment of the goddess. Just as we all have the potential to be living, breathing embodiments of God. God and goddess. So that's why in we always have the dichotomy between the Virgin and the whore. The Virgin Mary and the whore of Babylon. Those are symbols. And each of us, each of us have the free will, each and every moment of each and every day. What do we make of our Divine Mother? A virgin or a whore? You don't have to go to church. You don't have to believe in anything. You don't have to pray. You don't have to do any rituals. You don't have to do, you don't have to send money. You don't have to do anything. How you worship, how you practice relegare, union with divinity, or if you don't practice union with divinity, you practice divorce, you assault, you abuse your Divine Mother. When you fornicate, when you lie, when you cheat, when you're narcissistic, when you're egotistical, when you show envy and greed and try to control things and fear and all the rest of it. You are abusing your Divine Mother. It's really an important question.
what is a woman. It is so important that Mr. Walsh and his trite little gotcha political documentary designed for his online echo chamber of right-wing self-righteous Christians to feed the fire of divide and conquer, which is the Black Lodge's methodology to bring about the fall of a civilization, divide and conquer. We hope, we pray, beyond all hope, that he actually took the time to watch this. And that perhaps some spark, some seed within himself recognizes that for all of his good intentions, he was the one who set out to answer the question. He failed to do so. His documentary is all about how nobody could answer his question. But the fact of the matter is, he produced a documentary called What is a Woman? And he failed to answer it. He failed. And we will put our three and a half live exposition of self, uh, um, self-evident self experiential knowledge on the question and the answer. It's definitive holistic, comprehensive answer up against his trite, political, 90-minute documentary any day of the week. A few more comments before we... uh, Let's get rid of this. We've had enough of that. Let's... uh, uh, So Jennifer says, I was well-fed today. You have answered many questions I have had around all things you have discussed today, especially what it means to be a woman. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, Jennifer. Uh, Kamal Manzuki. Kamal Manzuki. We hope we're pronouncing that right. Kamal has a couple thumbs up. And uh, Benjamin says, thank you for always sharing your knowledge as gentlemen. We should treat women with with respect, like our mothers and sisters. Amen, brother. Amen. And speaking as someone whose mother, whose biological mother, is no longer with us, and someone who never had sisters, for God's sake, for God's sake, do not take for granted the women in your life, the women in your family. Because you don't know how lucky you are. You don't know how blessed you are that you have them, that you still have them. Because once they're no longer there, it'll be it'll it'll be too late. What is a woman? That's that's a woman. That's a woman. You're very you're very welcome. Magabu 22. <laughs> Again, where's another name we're, we're going to find ourselves tripping over. And what's interesting is we we went to um, great lengths to 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 get the word out about today's 
uh, live stream. We even sent it to Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh himself, inviting him to, to come join, come watch. And um, so many people think that they have this all worked out and they have all the answers and they don't need to, you know, well, what is woman? Oh, why are we even having this conversation? Someone made a comment. Why do we even think we need to talk about this? All of you can testify as to why we needed to talk about this and why so many people who aren't here watching this live need to talk about this. So thank you for being here and for joining us and for receiving <laughs> while we were here talking about this. Uh, we hope to see you again next week when we'll have a whole new topic. And who knows, maybe next week we'll take on the question, what is a man? <laughs> Uh, actually, we covered a lot of that today already, so we, we 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 won't be doing that. But but we'll we'll be we'll be back next week with a new topic. So all of you, thank you again for being here, and um, have a wonderful week. Have a blessed week, and as always, um, whoops, there it is, inferential peace. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>